Hey, everybody. Ryan Weiss is on the podcast today, and he really cracked me wide open, and you'll see that and hear that in the episode. I'm, I'm very excited for you to hear it. His beingness, his authenticity, his wisdom are going to, as he would say, wake you up. We discuss what it really means to be who we actually are, not who we believe ourselves to be, but who we actually are, how to sit with what is, and how to adopt a more compassionate lens for this human experience. Thank you so, so much for being here and being present with us today. And by the way, if you haven't already left a five-star review and a written review for this podcast, it would be so helpful if you did. It would just get this episode into more people's ears. So if you like it, share it, leave a review. Without further ado, let's get altered with Ryan Weiss. Ryan, thank you so much for being on Altered Podcast. I'm deeply grateful you're here. I'm so happy to be here with you, Alexa, and congrats on the pod. Thank you. It felt um, it felt like a important thing to kind of venture into and restart. You know, it's actually amazing. You gave me the name of my old podcast. I don't know if you remember that, but you took my yoga class once and I said something about like getting information, what what information does this physical formation have for you? And you were like, and Beyonce was had, had that song that just came out that was like, let's get information. And you were like, that's the name of your show. <laughs> this I totally remember. Yeah, yeah. I completely remember that moment of hearing you say information. I was like, uh, uh. and we're like in a yoga class where you're guiding us to get in alignment in right. like formation. Yeah. I'm so sorry that the, the gardeners, I feel like, are so loud right now. You know what? Here this we is, are. This, this is what post is for. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I'm just grateful to be in your presence and just to, like, witness. I haven't seen you in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, this new podcast is called Altered, A-L-T-A-R-E-D. Um, and so I would love to hear just to begin, if there was a moment in your human experience, whether it was big, small, grandiose, intense, whatever, that really altered you and the way that you see the world, the way you walk through the world. Um, because I find that we often make our mess, our message. Um, so I'd love to hear about your experience of being altered. Yes. Many moments of alteration. Um, firstly, and I actually don't even know what, what story or what event I want to share yet. So I think as I share this, um, as soon as you said the word altered, I was reminded of a, of a sentence in a text that I studied called the course in miracles, which I know you're familiar with, um, that says what we place on the altar is then altered. And so that to me speaks to faith, right? The recognition that, you know, if we were to break down that sentence, what we place, what we place on the altar is then altered. There's both the action of us placing something on the, on the altar. So being willing to open ourselves to the possibility that grace is here, that we are here, that love is here, that, 
no matter what agony we might be experiencing or challenge or wall that we feel like we're continuing to hit against, we can place it on the altar. We can have choose to open ourselves to faith and to see, is there a source here that can support me, that can intersect with my life and alter the path that I may take without that divine connection or in the imagination that that divine connection doesn't exist. And so there's this piece of what I place on the altar. There's this expression of my willingness. I'm saying I'm willing to be joined, to be supported, is then altered, is this statement of conviction that says, if I'm willing, the universe shows up. And so I think the big moment of altering in my life was the moment that I was willing, that I was willing to explore that idea, that I went from a relationship with life that I really felt alone, scared, confused, not to healed and at peace and cloud nine and nirvana, but a shift to being willing, right? Not to healed, but a willingness to enter into the processes of healing. And that was a shift that was a psychological shift, an emotional shift, a spiritual shift, and a a shift of practice. So choosing to engage in a practice every day, multiple practices, where I'd say, as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, I'd say, all right, universe, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? And yes, there was a voice in my head saying, what the fuck are you doing? Talking to the universe? Like, there's no one there, Ryan, you know? But still saying, okay, I see you. I see the doubt. I see the separation. I see the loneliness. I see the belief that I'm all alone and separate. Okay, you could be there, but I'm still going to keep this practice moving. And so, so many intersections. I mean, experiences of, you know, getting this career path that I've been on now for 13 years started because of an absolute intersection where the universe couldn't have made it more clear, like anvils falling in my head, me trying to resist it, trying to resist coaching and spiritual teaching, like with everything that I had, because I thought that's not a career. I can't do that. This is not. And then life just being like, wham, 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 like making it so abundantly clear. And it was like, okay, like this is not random. This is in response to a prayer, but not just a prayer, many prayers, days and days and days and days and days and days and weeks and years of conviction, of practicing, of being willing one layer at a time to surrender. And then noticing the ways in which this love shows up and that I'm in direct partnership with it, which actually partnership isn't even really the right word because I am it. I can't be in partnership with myself. I am it. And so, I mean, my God, I can go through endless numbers of stories of where my life has been altered through my faith. Yeah. so many sweet nuggets in there Um, you 
your Instagram handle is waking up with Ryan. So for those of you who don't follow him, please get on that. Um, but I'd love to hear from you in whatever comes forward, just what waking up actually is. Like, what does that really mean? Um, obviously we wake up, well, not obviously it's a gift when we wake up in the morning. Um, but to awaken, what does that mean to you? To awaken, to wake up is to recognize who you are and who you've always been, who you were before, before time, before this lifetime, during it and after. So it's a shift in identification. And that's a big word because if you think about our driver's license, our ID, it's this representation of this self. When we grow up in a world that tells us this is who you are, right? From the moment, what's the first word we often learn? We learn identifiers. That's mom, that's dad. What's your name, child? What's your name, child? Who are you? How many years old are you? Right? These are the first kind of language that we start learning. It's all about this identity of this self that we are raised in our family systems, in our cultural systems, in our education systems, in our economic system, to have this identity that this is me. I am this body. I am this name. I am this gender. I am this whatever identifier. And awakening or waking up is recognizing that that self, that self that we're describing here, exists. However, it exists within a larger self, which is actually me. So, so we grow up thinking that consciousness, our awareness, is in our body as if it's some kind of a biological process that happens in the brain. Waking up is recognizing that consciousness doesn't exist in the body. Rather, consciousness exists everywhere and the body exists within that. And I am that. I am that, period. Period. I am that. So if I was to close my eyes, and this is my practice every day, every time I'm practicing, not just when I sit right there to meditate, but all day long, all day long is a practice of who am I believing I am right now? Am I believing that I'm the person in the situation that's unfolding? Or am I remembering that I am the witness? I'm the very awareness that is aware of the person named Ryan inside the situation. I am the awareness that is aware of the thoughts that this mind is thinking and generating. I am the awareness that is aware of the emotions and the sensations that are arising in a normal moment, in a conflicted moment, in a good moment, in a painful moment, that I am the awareness of that. And this is something that I think for years I understood as a concept. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Understanding it as a concept. And what's happened for me in the last couple of years 
is this awareness that I am awareness, as Ram Dass says, I am loving awareness, is lived. It's an experience. It's something that actually has no language. But what I can tell anyone listening is if you're experiencing that you're in a pretty consistent mode of suffering, of pain, of anxiety, of despair, that seems to overtake you, that you that it's it's likely that there's an opportunity to awaken, to recognize, to uncover that you are actually the awareness. And that awareness is not touched, can't be touched by life, by the comings and goings of the sufferings, the pains of the world. This is this world, as in, as they say in Hinduism, is a leela. It's a dream. It's a play. It's a play. And as Wallen, Alan Watts says, that who are we? We are the, the what is the body? The body is the aperture through which God is looking at itself. And you are that. You are that. You are that being that is looking through these eyes at itself. There's only one of us here. And this is a radical concept for the majority of human beings who either are not interested in waking up, who aren't called to wake up in this life, um, who just have not yet woken up, right? Um, or have not yet really ventured on that path. This is a radical concept that's like, could sound like a whole bunch of BS. But when you live it and you know it and you go through something, I've been going through something recently um, that for all, you know, human experience is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's something that I wouldn't want to have happen in my life. It's a hard thing. I, I'm not going to go into the details, but if I told you the details, when I tell people the details of this, they say, fuck, that's awful. I'm so sorry that's happening. And I've been just watching it. Like old me would have been wrapped up in it. My identity would have been wrapped up in it. I would have felt like I was losing something. I would have judged myself and judged the other people involved. And and this me has just been watching it as this unfolding and watching the situation and watching what's being said, watching the thoughts that arise inside of me in re response or reaction, watching, observing, witnessing the emotions that arise inside of me. And what's so beautiful about that is that I'm watching it because I know I'm the watcher. So that's what waking up is to me and it's one of those things that any great teacher will tell you no one can do it for you nothing can do it for you so we wait often we wait until and we can insert the blank right i will be awakened when or i will be happy when i will feel like i'm enough when i will relax when you know, I will stop being anxious when. I will be proud of myself when. Mm -hmm. 
right? So the, that's that's this deeply confused mind really wanting us to believe that there's something out there that can offer us the fulfillment that we're really after. And I just want to say it's not true. It's not ever true. The things of the world can give us a sense of happiness, but that's temporal, just like the things that come and go from our life, the happiness that we experience there. And so I believe what all of us is really here for. We come into these bodies to ultimately recognize that we are not these bodies. We are not only these bodies. And I believe that's the gift of this body. So I just remembered the last piece I wanted to come around to is because no one and nothing can give you the gift of fulfillment that you're looking for, lasting fulfillment, lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting harmony. The only thing that can give us that, which is so cool, the only thing that can give us that is remembering who we are, being who we are. What's so cool about that is it actually doesn't take work. So I had somebody say to me who's known me a long time, well, you've been working at this for a long time, Ryan. Right? As if to say, oh, Ryan, you're in this place, whatever place that is, you're in this place because you've been working at it for a very long time and I haven't been, therefore I can't just, which I understand. Okay, cool. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And what I said to this person is, yeah, I've been working at a lot of things for a long time. I've been on this path for a long time. And what it's led me to recognize is it only takes a moment. It just takes a moment right here to be willing to close the eyes and ask myself, who am I? Right now, maybe it'll take 12 years to peel off enough layers to get to a moment of awareness, of deep awareness, maybe of even lasting awareness, but also it could happen in a single moment of grace. Right now, we can just switch and ask, who am I? And touch into something that pulls us into it that is so incredibly everything um, and move through the rest of life with that awareness. It doesn't mean we leave our bodies. It doesn't mean we float away. It doesn't mean we move to a mountaintop. It doesn't mean we experience, you know, only good things. As my teacher, Gangaji, says, I still, she's awake. I still experience judgmental thoughts. I still have bad days. The difference is they happen at home. I'm home when they're happening. They happen, and I watch them, and I witness them, and I invite them. Right. This is the other thing of awakening. We live in a world, we live in a culture that's so heavy on the materialistic aspects of self-love. And we say the word love, but we really mean like. <laughs> right? I want to I want to love myself. What we're really saying is I only want to be the things that I like. If I just can love myself, what we're saying is I want to be liked. I want to get the snatched body and I want to have the successful, I want to have a loving life. I want to love myself. And I think what we're forgetting is because we think that if I'm loving myself, that somehow I've achieved some level of perfection and then I can love myself. And what I'm asking people to recognize is the practice that I've been working on in myself is what is it to love yourself right now? 
And how do we redefine the word love? I think this is a big part of waking up, redefining the word love. Tell me more. So the best definition for love, and I have no idea who said this. I don't remember where I saw it. Said love is the space inside of which all things get to exist. I really want to like, maybe we just meditate on that for the next hour. <laughs> love is the space inside of which all things get to exist. All things. Love is the space inside of which all things get to exist. All things get to exist. And so the shame the hatred, the pain, the fear, the jealousy, the stupidity, the othering, the way I judge myself, the things about myself that I hate, that I don't want to show people, my patterns, my wounds, my traumas, all things get to exist. Love is the space. Love is space. And in that space, all things get to exist. Yes, the good and the beautiful and the things that we want to lean into, but also the things that we try to push away, that we want to avoid, the emotions we want to avoid, the thoughts we judge ourselves for thinking. Love is the space in which all things get to exist. And if you are love, if that's what you are, and you walk around this world, I am love. I am love. Well, being love is being the space. You literally, that's what we are. We are the space. And in that space, all these things exist. And so the, one of the greatest paths toward awakening is stop refusing things. When a painful thing happens and emotions arise inside your body, instead of jumping into your head and thinking about what you're feeling and what's happening and why is it happening, go into your body and welcome the pain. Welcome the fear, welcome the sadness, welcome the anger, welcome the rage. Let it be here. It's not going to hurt you. In fact, we're hurting ourselves by separating ourselves from it. It's here. Let it be here. Just allowing that to land for a second. I mean, I think that's like the greatest, undoubtedly the greatest cause of pain and suffering is the resistance to our pain and suffering. Well, I'd say that's how pain becomes suffering. Right. Right. Pain happens. It's a part of being here. Mm -hmm. We experience pain, mm -hmm. which is insane that we avoid it. And we have a problem with it because it's a part of this fabric. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like buying a sofa that you purchase and you bring it into your home but you keep complaining about the fabric. It's like you bought it. You signed up for that. Right. So we signed up for life. And a part of the fabric of life is pain. Accept it. Accept mm -hmm. it. Stop trying to run from it. Mm -hmm. Let it be here. Because when you run from it, that's what becomes suffering. I wish this wasn't happening. Why is this happening? This always happens to me. The storytelling that we tell. This is all the way that we avoid. We say there's something wrong with this experience. How much energy we waste all fucking day thinking things should be different. But they are. 
They are. So let it be what it is. And this is really hard to do when the divorce is happening, when the bankruptcy is happening, when the health condition is happening. This is really hard to do because we want to just change it. We want to fix it. But we got to stop the fixing. Start oh, it to be what it is. Yeah. How do we support ourselves in our awakening? And I know that it's, you gave us such a beautiful tool of just tuning into that loving awareness to who we really are. But if people are wanting to actively practice some things that can help them wake up, what are some of your practices? I mean, I I like to think that, and I I know that you embody this beautifully as well, that that life is the ritual, right? Like life is the prayer. but. I know that you have an abundance of practices. Um, I would love to hear about those. So I've, uh, without getting into too much story, I've, if you're familiar with the path of Advaita Vedanta, which comes from Hinduism, from the the Vedas, um, which just means non-duality, this is where I'm focused. I actually recognize through major experiences that A Course in Miracles, the text that I studied, is actually pure Veda, which is Mm. so beautiful because it's said to be written through Christ, right? Um, And I'm a Jew. (laughs) Um, So, so many things, but truth is truth. The best practice from this Advaita perspective is no practice. Why are we practicing? What are we practicing for? Why do you have to practice what you already are? Mm. You only have to practice something to become something. But if we already are it and always have been it, what are we practicing? Mm. And so if anything, it's actually about not practicing. But if, but it is about being quiet. It's about being quiet and going within. And maybe asking myself, what is here? Who am I? And being open to not knowing the answer to that. And recognizing that if we have a really quick answer to that, it's probably not the deepest truth. And actually an answer that you can give words to actually may not even be the most accurate. And so... I think this notion that we don't have to practice to become something that we already are. A lot of us get wrapped up in practice. Practice, 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 practice. And that can be a treadmill that's keeping us going our whole lives when really we just need to stop and recognize we already are that which what we that which we want to become. We already are rich. We already are fulfilled. We already are it because we are everything. That's what we are. We cannot be uncreated from that. We can only exist or believe we exist within this illusion that we are not that. And that illusion is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And I'm not saying that we don't interact within that. We are in this play. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Now let's get back to like kind of 
more directly what you're asking. I think in terms of a practice, firstly, the most important one is just sit, close your eyes and ask, who am I? If you, if you do nothing else, who am I? And just be in that question. And recognize that that might be challenging to just sit and be quiet and ask that question. I think the really what it's going back to a practice that I think is probably one of the most valuable things is to practice being aware of what's happening in our bodies. So especially when we're anxious or stressed, what's happening in our body? So noticing, just paying attention, what are sensations happening in my body? What emotions are arising? Just letting myself feel it and allowing that experience to be here. So that goes back to that we were talking about earlier, releasing resistance. Stop trying to fix it. Okay, I'm angry. Okay, I allow this anger to be here. Just letting it be. Letting it be here. I think that as a practice is incredibly valuable. Just feeling. It's one of the ways that we are essentially saying to this younger version of ourselves that had to shut ourselves off from certain internal experiences. So a whole host of emotions, half the rainbow of emotions we often had to dissociate from. Because we wouldn't be loved if we were angry. We wouldn't be loved when we were sad. We didn't feel safe because we were constantly told not to do it. And so we had to choose to downgrade our authenticity, our actual experience, as a way to prioritize our safety that we derive from the attachment to our primary caretakers and to society at large. And so we've turned ourselves into beings that have kind of chameleoned and we wear these costumes of who I can be in order to be loved and accepted. And that's not our fault because we had to do that in order to survive when we were little babies. We couldn't run from a predator. We couldn't lift a finger, let alone feed ourselves. So we needed to prioritize the attachment to our primary caretakers so that we could survive. So we had to look at the world and go, who do I need to be so that they will see me, love me? Right? And talking like a day old, right? Super pre-verbal. And so we learned to dissociate from certain emotions. And when we experienced pain in those early years, when we weren't nurtured because we were experiencing some kind of fear or upset or trauma, and we didn't have a primary caretaker that was there to remain in attachment with us, that is a part of us, that fear that arose, that sadness, that anger, that loneliness that arose in that moment, didn't process. It stopped in time. And it became a wound that has gone unhealed, that still moves through, uh, through the world with us. And so when there's a pain that happens now, when there's a moment of challenge, whatever's happening, and that emotion rises up inside of our body. That's also, that's not just in response to what's happening right now. It's also this wound that I've been carrying with me for a very long time that's speaking up and saying, hey, Ryan, all those years ago, I didn't get to be seen. 
I didn't have an adult in the room with whom I could feel this emotion, this sadness, this anger, this loneliness, express it. And I didn't have an adult who would then stay in the room with me to help me feel that it's okay that I feel this, that I express it, that relationships will still remain stable if I be this authentic self. And so I felt this a long time ago, but there was no room for it. So I suppressed it. I need to feel it now. I need to let it move now. And so what's cool is we can be the adult to that child, to our child, to the me, the the little me, the one-year-old me. I can be the adult for the little me that that little me did not have. I can step into that room now see what that child is feeling and give that child permission to feel it now. And so that's why in these moments of challenge, in terms of this, going back to your question, what's a practice? Just let yourself have your authentic experience. So when you notice there's an explosion of emotion in your body, and then you notice that you're up in your head thinking about the situation, can you drop your awareness back into your body and just ask, what am I feeling right now? What emotion is here? What sensations are here? Is my heart racing? Is my breath tight? Is there a pit in my stomach? Are my hands shaking? Is my leg doing that rapid movement thing? Like, what's going on? Is my face tight? How's my jaw? What's happening? And just pay attention to it and allow it. And what emotion is here? Am I, is there anger here right now? And just allow it to be here. Can we take a second just to allow everyone to maybe practice that for a second? Just like a moment of embodiment. Um, and for those of you who are listening, who have resistance to that, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that you need it even more. Mm. So with compassion, I will say, I will say, yeah, with deep compassion, if there's a wisdom in you that says now's not the time, Mm. pay attention to that. If you're not in an environment that feels safe, um, if your levels of intensity are really high right now if you're someone that's experienced a lot of trauma and right now you don't feel safe like let's get you to a more resourced place of course um and yes if what's happening for you is like yeah i don't need that right yeah I don't, like yeah you need it more <laughs> that's 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 definitely what i was speaking to but thank yeah. you for that for that peace because you are so so right do you want to guide us through just a moment of checking in with ourselves sure thank you so i acknowledge right now that as we're recording this podcast we are three days uh two days uh from after waking up to the news of the massacre in israel um no matter what political beliefs, affiliations you subscribe to, this is painful for everyone. And wow, it's too much to hold. It's too much to hold. Um, in fact, right before we started this call, I got a call from 
someone in total devastation, complete destruction, that her three cousins were taken. They were at the festival and were taken by Hamas. And they just got photos of one that has been murdered. And they don't know where the other two are. These are their first cousins. So imagine, and called saying, I don't, I have, I'm calling you. I don't know who else to call. I need prayer. Can we, how do you hold that? How do we, how do we, what, what do we do? And I've been getting quite a few calls from people. What do I do? Everyone has their own answer for that. Some of us need to distract, and that's okay. In fact, after that phone call and holding space and moving through prayer, like I noticed my mind coming in going, hey, here's three different ways you could go like distract yourself from what you're feeling right now. I think before we decide what to do or what to believe, we need to feel. And so a practice Maybe this situation that I just mentioned is really ripe for you right now. Maybe you're listening to this at some point in the future where this isn't feeling as present. Maybe you have some other challenge that's arising for you right now. So I just, to begin, just bring the situation to mind, to challenge, bring the other people involved to mind. Person, see the last moment of conflict. Maybe it was a conversation you had, or a letter you received, or a text you received, or a text that you sent that you didn't get a response to, or a diagnosis you received, something you saw on the news, a fight you had with someone. Just see that moment. And pause, pause that moment as if you're pausing the movie and notice your state in that moment. Notice maybe for a moment before we go into this practice, what, what was, what were you thinking about? What was going through your mind? I imagine some version of what is happening and of some version of what am I going to do about it? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to react? Some version of I wish this wasn't happening. So notice how the activity goes to the mind. And we listen to the vacillation of thought. The ping pongs in our mind. One thought leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. But if we pause, we may also recognize that there's a whole lot of experience happening in the body. So if you pause in that moment of challenge or conflict, what in that moment was happening in your body? So notice first, what were physical sensations happening in your body? Breathe while we do this. Just don't hold your breath. So you may scan. You may notice what was happening in and around my chest, my heart. What was happening in my belly, anywhere else in my body? What were the sensations? What was happening with my breath? And then, what emotion is present? I mean, it's worth saying that emotions are just one word. 
So I feel like he should have not done that. That's not an emotion. It's a thought. So I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel lonely. I feel afraid. And now from here, we just let it be here. Just let it be here. So whatever sensations physically you notice, you just say, I allow this to be here. So name it. I allow my heart racing to be here. I allow the breath to be tight. I allow this pit in my stomach, whatever it is. And then I allow, and then insert the emotion, I allow this sadness to be here. I allow this anger to be here. Sit for just another few seconds, allowing these sensations to be here. If this kind of a practice is relatively new for you, you may notice that the mind is going, what are we doing? Is this really working? Does this really work? So you may notice that the mind is not so interested in a practice of you just feeling what's happening in your body. That's why it's a practice. You practice it. Just take a deep breath. Let it go. And feel your body in physical space. You may kind of put some, touch your body like I'm kind of grabbing my thighs right now. Just feel yourself here. Yeah, Alexa's massaging her jaw. Just feel your body in space for a moment as you open your eyes. So, Alexa, I want to just say, it's like, why are we doing that? Why do we do a practice like that? Well, ultimately, we avoid these emotional experiences happen in our body and we go up into our head because whether we understand this or not, whether it's conscious or not, we do not believe that it is safe for us to feel. It feels unsafe. That's what's deeply underneath unconscious emotional avoidance, always. So when we just sit and we allow ourselves to feel it, what we're saying to the body is, I'm safe. It's safe. This feeling, this is not going to kill me. It's not going to kill me. But we learned in our youth, it will kill us. Because if we don't have the attachment of our primary caretakers, we will not survive. So if our emotional life, and this is in the mind of a young child, we don't understand yet. Right? So in the mind of a young child, if mommy, daddy, parent goes away because I'm too much, because I'm too emotional, whatever, I will die. So it feels unsafe to feel these big feelings. So we need to retrain ourselves now to say, I am safe to feel this. So when I just sit and feel it, that's what I'm doing. This is ultimately why we take deep breaths. We're reminding our body in a moment of stress, right? If there's an actual predator, I'm not taking deep breaths. I'm going to hyperventilate so I can hyperoxygenate, so I can run faster, move faster, think more on my toes. So when I'm in a moment of stress and I take long, deep breaths, I'm actually reminding my body I am not threatened right now. I'm perceiving a threat from 
an ancient biology of this body that has evolved over time to consistently perceive threat. My system's telling me I'm threatened right now, even though I just got a text message I didn't like, or God forbid I lost my job. But like, okay, you lost your job. Okay, got it. Right. No one wants that to happen. But, and we go, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like that. Right. It's right. like, is that true? Yes, this sucks. Yes, this is uncomfortable. But your body's having a reaction as if there's a tiger that is a millisecond from biting you. So we have to start training ourselves to down-regulate, down-regulate. We all know what it's like to be around people who are just so wound up and reactive. Yeah. Which is wildly unsafe, right? It's like whatever's inside comes out. If you feel unsafe, ironically, you're creating, or at least in certain conditions, a sense of unsafety for other people because of your pretense, uh, your propensity to reactivity. Mm. Right. That's the idea. It's like in in war, every offense is made in the name of defense. Mm. Every attack is made because we're defending ourselves. Right. Ramdas told a story about one of his teachers, and I'm totally blanking on which teacher it was. It wasn't Maharaji, it was someone else. He was talking about, this is kind of going back to what you were saying a while ago. This teacher had lost his son. His son had died. And he was crying. And all the students came to this teacher and they were like, well, don't you understand? Like, this is, this is, this is the Leela. Like, it's okay. He didn't really die. And this teacher just looked at them and said, I know. But the death of a child is the greatest illusion. Right. And it's like, we're still here to do the human thing too. But it's this aspect of being able to watch it and be be of it, right, but not in it, not associate ourselves with it, not identify with it, to be with it rather than to be it. And that's been such a huge practice in in my awakening as well, of course, um, is this ability, like even if I have some sort of a physical pain, and I, I guided my mother through this a lot before she died. I was just um, thinking about her. Yeah, yeah, she's super present. Um, that I would, I would have her live actively live in another part of her body. Like if she was having discomfort in her chest, she had a really large tumor on her chest that would kind of like fume. And so I'd have her live in her right big toe and just watch the pain in her chest and witness mm. it, um, rather than associate herself and her beingness with it. She could just be loving awareness from her big toe or her earlobe or Mm. wherever the pain wasn't. And it it wasn't a a denial of pain. It wasn't a a bypassing of pain. The pain was still there, but it just was the ability to remember, Mm. remember who we really are, which is that loving awareness. So, so good. Everything you're saying is like food nourishment. What do you think we as a collective are really voraciously hungry for? 
intellectually, physically, spiritually, emotionally? I think we're, what just came to me is we're hungry to experience a world that is manifest from the truth of who each one of us really is. (laughs) So we're all hungry to really experience like sacred community, peace with each other, creative exploration, play. Uh, And I don't just mean positive play. I mean, play, like even if there's dynamics that are, Ooh, uncomfortable or stupid. I think we're just craving, yeah, just connection with our nature, with our natural world, simplicity. I think we're all craving to get off of the hamster wheel, the economic hamster wheel that has set up our entire life, that has usurped the entire reason for existence, right? It's like, how often have you asked a kid or has a kid been asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Have we, do we ever hear a kid say nothing? I want to be nothing. Because by the time they have language to answer that question, it's already set. I have to be something. I have to, I'm here to become something. Right? So imagine like, what if we're raised in a world where it's not about becoming something to serve this economy of usurious, manipulative, patriarchal, and I don't say that as a gender term, I say that as a system, a top-down system, and if there's a top, there has to be a bottom. And if there's haves, there has to be have-nots. Have it's a very Piscean world of opposites. Othering. So what does it look like to, what, I think we all want to live in a matriarchal world where all beings are cared for, where everyone has their basic needs met, where, where we look at the physical world and we see it, at, we take care of it as if we're taking care of our own flesh, where we look at dirt and we see that as our blood. You know, as the substance of our very bodies, and we treat it with dignity and respect and care and gratitude. We all just want the simplicity of getting to wake up every morning and go on an exploration in this unbelievably gorgeous world that so many of us living in big cities don't even know exists. We forget this concrete is sitting on top of dense life these buildings are sitting on top of a planet that creates the most magnificent (laughs) colors and creatures and smells and sights and textures and fabrics and it's amazing here this is the, the 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 joke that we're sometimes you have to laugh at this thing we have been given everything to live that We are collectively choosing not to and complaining about it. A Course in Miracles says it's like we're standing in a really bright room with a hand in front of our eyes, complaining that it's dark. And so, okay, here we are, you and I. Who knows who listens to this? I'm sure you have an unbelievable community of people that are listening to this. But okay, so here it's just you and I having this conversation, serving the awakening of each other. Some might 
go, well, what does that really matter? There's 8 billion people on the planet. Well, the only way this is going to happen is one by one, y'all. It's up to you. You and you and you and you and you and me. Focus on yourself. Put the first attention on yourself. The minute you notice your mind telling you that I can't wake up because of this, or my life is hard because of that person, or I can't love or forgive because of this person, put the first attention on yourself. I could sit here and ask you 8 million more questions, but I feel... You want to? Do you mind? I don't mind at home. Okay, great. Um, You just spoke about forgiveness, and I think that people... um, really have a hard time actually integrating what that means. I think it's thrown around like confetti, um, but it's not It's like something that people either know how to embody or be or do. Can you talk a little bit more about forgiveness and how that shows up for you? Yeah. Yeah. We're also coming out of Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, which is this moment once a year where we, ask ourselves like where have I sinned so I think there's a lot of elements that build into a deeper understanding of forgiveness one is what does it mean to sin right where we make these all sin means is to miss the mark it's an archery term it means to miss the mark it's to make a mistake why are we sinning why are we making mistakes why are we acting out of integrity why are we saying things that are hurtful? Why are we taking actions that are hurtful? Why? Because we are in pain. Because we forget who we are. Because we believe that we are threatened by a certain situation. And so we react in a way where we say something unkind, where we try to get somebody else to feel that they're the blame, they're responsible. So we say something attacking or unkind, we judge, and ultimately that's coming from our own pain. And other people are doing that as well. So, I don't know, an example, it's like, I'm just trying to think of something personal. Let's say, God, my, my mind is so relaxed that I'm just not even coming up with specific specifics specifics um my um my boyfriend's ex-wife I'm sure she doesn't listen to this has a really hard time she there's still so much pain and so much anger toward him um and it comes out sideways it's not specifically um like pointed or expressed it comes out through um criticism and um judgments of his parenting and uh, all sorts of things that are really um difficult obviously for him because he feels very guilty for the way that the relationship ended and obviously they each had a hand in it but he because she's still carrying so much of the anger there's like a dynamic where he's like the guilty terrible one and she's like the angry rageful one and like you fucked up and you owe me 
like they've been separated for almost five years and it's like, you owe me. And the lack of, for, I mean, she's on her journey and I, I witness her with compassion, like truly. Um, but I, I know that forgiveness would do her body really good. And I know that self-forgiveness for Alex would do his body really good. That's beautiful. So intense. Yeah. This this human this human thing is a ride. Yeah, it's it's hard too because I imagine for Alex that Alex, yeah. Mm-hmm. That he imagines maybe that in order for him to have peace with this aka to forgive himself that she would have to forgive him mm-hmm. and in order for her to forgive him maybe she believes that he would have to fall to his knees and beg for her forgiveness and everything that you that that you're saying is right you're so right i'm such a piece of shit i'm the mm-hmm. worst i'm and kind of there's our codependency, like our relational codependency. Mm-hmm. I think forgiveness in this situation and in any situation is deep compassion. It is knowing that we all do the best we can with what we have in any given moment. That we're all products. Until we're not, we're all products of the trauma we experienced. We're all living out the hurt that we've experienced in our lives. We're all trying to protect ourselves from the vulnerability that we perceive will create future hurt. And so we hurt people in doing that. And so if I'm looking at somebody and I'm looking at the action they took that hurt me, that I'm not forgiving them for, I'm not forgiving them because I'm looking at their thing at face value. I'm looking at the action that they, the thing they said to me. Forgiveness is going into some inquiry, some compassionate inquiry of what might cause them to say something like that? What might cause them to act that way? What might be happening in their system? Just having a willingness. What pain might exist within them that would cause them to... Now suddenly I'm not just paying attention to the surface, to the form of the situation. I'm allowing myself to get a little deeper into the heart. And recognize this is a human being who's experienced loss and hurt and grief and pain and fear. And so, yeah, they acted in a way that was hurtful. But I can see them with compassion. I can see them through the lens of they're doing the best that they can. That doesn't mean that I allow them to continue to take an active role of participation in my life. It may mean you got to move out now. But forgiveness is. I see you. So I see you. I see how you suffer and I see how I suffer and I see the ways that I, like, you know, it's like, I think infidelity is a good example of this. It's like the person who cheated is suddenly the worst thing in the world. And I think that happens often because maybe one or both people aren't wanting to look at all the relational history that's preceded the infidelity 
or look at it did the just come from nothing <laughs> yeah and this isn't yeah. to blame right no. it's not to blame the anybody but also to go like oh this is really compassionate to and hard to go okay so that person did something that went against our agreement and didn't tell me about it while it was happening what about their past led them to orient themselves with life in such a way that says i can't share right what i perceive to be my dark thoughts mm-hmm. i can't share that i have desire for other people i it's not safe for me to share that here in this dynamic maybe because you don't want to hear that from me because that upsets you mm-hmm. maybe my partner and i haven't had a sex life or haven't had a fulfilling sex life for me and i'm too afraid to say that to my partner and that so it's a beach ball that i keep trying to trying to in years i'm just holding that beach ball under the water and then it explodes so what is it about my partner that that they don't feel safe to talk about this stuff and what is it about me that hasn't created a container where i've established a relationship with my partner where we can talk about hard things where certain things are just off limits right so there's so many dynamics at play and i think we all need to just forgive ourselves a little more we hold ourselves we hold ourselves it's all happening because we hold ourselves to these ridiculous standards right we hold ourselves and others to these superhuman standards as if each one of us is being god in all moments even though we are god in drag we forget of course and so where's the permission for a human to be a human where is the forgiveness and the humility for a human being to make mistakes because ultimately if you're really on your path you're really committed to your path you know that your path the biggest learning is from the biggest mistakes that you make. So you're giving yourself permission to make mistakes. Not only are you giving yourself permission to make mistakes, you're actually embracing the fact that it's through mistakes that you're growing. You're going to give that permission to others for them to make mistakes. Every time they make a mistake, you're going to take it personally. You're going to make yourself so self-important in their reality that they're doing blah 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 because of you? How about because of their mom? How about because of the history of trauma and their lineage? How about because of the society that they grew up with? You're more impactful on their reality than the fact that their grandparents were murdered in a holocaust or that they're descendants of slavery or that they grew up poor or that their uncle beat them or that they're acting that way because of you? You're now taking Ego- your behavior personally? <laughs> Ego town. Ego town. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so good. So I think forgiveness Ke- is just permission to see people act from their hurt. And what they're really asking for is love and acceptance and grace. To keep your heart open when you are in pain and to keep your heart open when you witness someone else in their pain and recognizing that when people bobble in life and make mistakes, that it is their pain. 
That's God, right. just keeping that open fucking heart. Wow, wow, super wow. I'm going to plug my computer in one second. Do it, do it. I love it. Humanness, humanness. Um, you were talking about our humanity, our humanity. And I love, I was just writing. So I just started, I just started grad school and yeah, which is super fun and hard and wonderful. What are you studying? Um, I'm studying to be a psychedelic assisted therapist. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, of course you did. Um, (laughs) Shocker. I know. Um, (laughs) But I was just writing a a paper um, because there's a lot of social justice work in, in, the school that I'm going to, which I am thoroughly enjoying and it's eye opening and it's amazing. I was talking about humility and the etymology of humility, humble, human, humanity. The hue comes from humilitas, which is Latin for like low, mm. like the ground, like lowly. My humanity is like my earthliness, mm. right? And when we're staying in our like, Oh, I, you did this. I'm up here. You're down there. Mm. I'm up here versus the humility and the humbleness of like, I'm fucking in it with you and I'm sorry. Mm. And thank you. Mm. And humble and open, open heart Mm. equals that, you Mm. know? I love words. (laughs) It's beautiful because I, when you're kind of just like speaking on the I'm up here and you're up there. I don't know that we all realize how much time we spend. Like that's a real part of our human nature. A lot of time we spend in the I'm right, they are wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. Feels like safety in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Because right, it feels like importance. It feels like I'm important. I know I'm right. I'm more valuable because I'm right. Yeah. So just like noticing that and not shaming ourselves for that behavior. I think it's really important to say we didn't choose our behavior. Mm. (laughs) You know, we're kind of all addicts, addicts to our programming. I mean, I think this is why psychedelic assisted therapy is so powerful because we're so addicted to our programming and our habitual thought and our habitual behaviors as a product of those thoughts that it can be really, really useful to have a medicine that can kind of cut through the density of the self like a sword. So psilocybin, for example, for me, that was something that when I first took that medicine 15 years ago, 13, whatever, 14 years ago, I had already been practicing and practicing yoga and um, but what that experience taught me when I took psilocybin, took a pretty heavy dose the very first time, and and suddenly everything that I knew, I realized all the spirituality that I knew was something that I was psychologically understanding. And what the psilocybin offered me was a physical embodied experience of everything, of I am everything. I am one which was an idea, right? Of course, a miracle says enlightenment is a shift in identification from I am body to I am spirit. So I would read that and go like, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. But then when I ate mushrooms, I experienced it. I experienced the shift from I am body to I am spirit. And again, this I'm putting words to an experience that has no words. 
you either are shaking your head yes, listening to this, going, I've experienced that, or not, or you haven't experienced that, although I'm guaranteeing you have. But (laughs) (laughs) so that that gift of cutting through the psychology of um, self, I am separate self, is very dense psychology. So dense. And that's the beauty of these medicines like psilocybin is it like physiologically literally creates new neural pathways. So it does, it, it, it breaks our patterns in a moment. That's why people say it's like doing a year of therapy in a night. It's like you do all of this work and you can, you can know it with a K, but when you know it, gnosis with a G in your body, you go, mm. Oh God. Okay. 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 Never mind. That, that was all really cute. Thank you. I'm glad I have that context. I'm glad I had, you know, studied and done my practice in air quotes, but then to, you know, we can't think feelings. Like we can only feel them in our body. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at religion. It's a lot of thinking God as opposed to deeply, really feeling the presence Hmm. Which is a personal practice. Right? Personal practice. So anytime people say, God says this, God, in the mind of God, this is bad. Right. It's, just, like, it's all in the psychology, it's all in the mind, right? As opposed to if we actually just stopped and meditated and just deed, we might come to know that there's something here that is so deep and so vast and so profound and so self it is self it's the self before there's an i yes right it's the self beyond polarity yeah it's non-dual it's one and if i am that then why do i have a problem with all this other stuff if i know if i'm living in embodied in a sense that like what I am and what we all are is everlasting, then things come and go. Events happen and don't happen. Experience wins and losses. Experience pain and grief and sorrow and sadness and joy and beauty. And and it comes and it goes. And I'm still here. I'm here. I'm still here. I was here before. I'm here now. I will be here later. Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Mm-hmm. Always. In every breath, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Just that constant coming and going. Birthing, living, and dying. And what's the one constant? With yeah. everything changing, what's the one constant? We don't have to have an answer for that, but we do want to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So any moment of stress, what's the one constant? What's the one thing that's always here? We just have the power to cut through the anxiety. Is there anything else that's present for you that you're really longing to share? You've given us so much. Thank you. Oh, it's my joy. It's my joy. I do this because I love being in this space and in these connected conversations. And I feel so alive in these kinds of experiences so thank you for asking me to join you 
I love you. Let's see each other in the real world, okay? Okay. I'm going to put in the show notes where everyone can find you. So we don't need to even do all that. But just again, thanks for helping us get altered. You got it. I would actually share one other thing. Oh, good. I just realized that, like, I always forget that I have this resource for people. Mm. You know, you were asking about practices earlier in the episode. Yeah. During the pandemic, I um, created a free online platform called the Sanctuary Great. Challenge. Great. Um, it's thesanctuarychallenge.com. And it's a way to kind of commit to five daily or three daily, whatever. We offer five daily practices with cool. audio recordings and downloadable templates so you can kind of put an accountability tracker that you can check off on your refrigerator and there's right. an opportunity to invite your crew to have an accountability crew and set up a WhatsApp chain or a text message chain. So in the morning, everyone, hey, you know, day four of the sanctuary challenge, like, <clears throat> here we go. Like, um, and so I think, uh, yeah, just want people to be aware that that, that exists for you. Great. Um, the sanctuary challenge. And on challenge. my, mm-hmm. and on my the, on my either my Instagram page, which is Waking Up with Ryan, or on there's also a Instagram which is the Sanctuary Challenge. Wow. Um, there's a lot of videos and live streams and things that I've <laughs> done over the years, um, just talking about what sanctuary is and really interesting conversations with some really interesting, uh, kind of very public people who have a lot of interesting things to say. So, cool. Um, that's that's there. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to go check it out right now. Wow. Thank you, my sweet. Ryan Weiss, everybody. Amazing. Guys, thank you so much for being here, taking the time out of your day to connect, to get altered. What a gift. If you liked this episode, please do share it. Share it with someone who could benefit from it. Share it on social media. We need to have these conversations. We need to have free content that we can integrate into our lives. So share it. It would mean so much to me and it will probably mean something to whoever you share it with. Uh, Again, if you haven't already, please do leave us a five-star review and a written review wherever you listen to this podcast. It will help us so much and you're the best. Thanks so much.